So if you were to ask people like, where is God? The the right answer to that question is God's everywhere because God's omnipresent. That's, That's a good word. That's a good description. But, but specifically in the Old Testament, if you were to say, like, where is God? People would say, well, he's chosen, like, now to live in this tent. And this tent was the tabernacle. And inside the tabernacle is when you begin to describe and see there's the holy place and the holy of holy places. Well, then we go from this portable tent where God was, like, moving with the people he wasn't restricted to the tabernacle, but he was in the tabernacle, and he was everywhere else too. But he then moved to a, a permanent location. He moved into what's called the temple, and he was definitely inside of this temple. And so David wants to build a temple. David wants to build a great temple for God, and God said to him, you can't do it. Your hands are too bloody. You got way too much blood. You're a warrior king. You can't do it, but your son can do it. And he said to David, and by the way, you're not going to get the credit for the temple, but you can contribute financially to it. I thought that's kind of like church, right? But anyway, um, you don't get the credit, but would you give? And so David then gave a whole lot of money to actually assist and to participate in, in this temple. What I want to do today is I want to, we continue our hero series, and I want us to look at the temple that Solomon had built. And right now you're going, how does that apply to my life? I'm just trying to finish school. I'm trying to figure out whether or not we should buy a house. Well, well, if you give me about 12 minutes, I will give you today as much application as you can handle because the application to this flat changes everything in your life. But, I, but you got to give me about 10 or 12 minutes. Are you willing to give me about 10 or 12 minutes to get there? Yeah. All seven of you. That's good. That's good. All right, here, here we go. So let's start with 1 Kings chapter 5. And then we'll go to 6 in a minute, and we'll go to 7. First Kings chapter 5, here's some of our background. You've got to hang with me on this. When Hiram, king of Tyre, and I'm going to show you a map in a minute, heard that Solomon had been anointed king to succeed his father David, he sent envoys to Solomon because he had always been on friendly terms with David. Solomon sent back this message to Hiram. You know that because of the wars waged against my father David all from all sides, He could not build a temple for the name of the Lord his God until the Lord put his enemies under his feet. But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, whom I will put on the throne in my place, will build the temple for my name. That's kind of from 1 Chronicles 29 that we read earlier. All right? Next verse then. So he said, so give orders that the cedars of Lebanon be cut for me. My men will work with yours, and I will pay you for your men whatever wages you set. You know that we have no skilled, uh, we, are, we have no, no one so skilled in felling timber as the Sidonians. Verse 7 says, when Hiram, and I will show you in a minute, when Hiram heard Solomon's message, he was greatly pleased, and he said, praise be to the Lord God. For he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I have received the message you sent me and will do all you want me to do in providing the cedar and the juniper logs. My men will haul them down from the Lebanon to the Mediterranean Sea, and I will float them as rafts by sea to the place you specify. There I will separate them, and you can take them away, and you are to grant my wish by providing food for my household. In other words... I need wood, 
you need food. I'll send Solomon. I'll send you food. You send me wood. And that's what's going to happen. Okay, we just read that. The next one in. All right. So here's the map. So this king is up here in Tyre. He's a, he's a Syrian. He's a Sidonian. And they're going to float the logs from Tyre all the way down to Joppa. It's now today called Jaffa, but in that culture it was called Joppa. So we float the logs, these great cedar logs, all the way down. And then from Joppa to Jerusalem, it's a cart ride, about a 40-mile cart ride. We put the logs on the carts, and we'll take them, and we'll build this amazing temple. Okay, let's go to verse 10. Are you still with me? All right. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the cedar, the juniper logs that he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram, here's the food part, 125,000 bushels of wheat as food for his household, 115 gallons of pressed olive oil. And Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom just as he had promised. And there were peaceful relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. King Solomon conscripted laborers from all Israel. Now, when I first read this, I thought, what? Solomon made these people slaves? No. These were the ites left over from war. The Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. These were all the people that got to live, but they became slaves. And so Solomon takes all of these people that are left over from the battles that he fought, and he made them forced labor. So about 30,000 men. Okay? He sent them off to Lebanon in shifts of 10000 a month so that they spent one month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adiram was in charge of the forced labor. Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters in the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project, and they directed the workers. At the king's command, they removed from the quarry large blocks of high-grade stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and workers from Babas cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. Now, I just want you to see this. This is massive. I tried to Google how many men did it take to build Tropicana Field. I couldn't find it. I tried to Google how many people did it take to build um, Raymond James Stadium. I thought that'd be another good, I couldn't find it. Um, But it was not the number I'm getting ready to show you. Maybe a thousand workers, perhaps, but but look at the number it took to build this massive temple. Here we go. 30,000 men were cutting timber, 80,000 men were cutting stone, 70,000 men in general labor, and 3,300 men were supervisors to build this temple. This is amazing. The number of people employed and involved in building this massive temple. Let's go down to chapter 6. Are you still with me? Okay, let's go to chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 6, and look at verse 1. In the 480th year after the Israelites came out of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Zivs, Ziv, the second month, he began to build the temple of the Lord. This is a seven-year project. Look at verse 2. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long. It's not this big, is it? But it was massive as far as quality. 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 45 feet high. The portico at the front of the main hall, and we're going to talk about the porch. The porch has two pillars, and we're going to come back to these pillars, and that's going to be our application for today. 
The porch or the portico at the front of the main hall of the temple extended the width of the temple, that is 30 feet, and projected 15 feet from the front of the temple. All right, let's go to the next slide then. The word of the Lord came to Solomon, as for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, observe my laws, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you the promise I gave to your father David, and I will live among the Israelites, and I will not abandon them. Then let's look at verse 14. So Solomon built the temple. How long did it take to build it? Seven years. Look at some pictures of this thing. It is amazing. This temple was absolutely amazing. This whole structure, outside courtyard, different parts and pieces. Then you got the holy place, and you got the holy of holy places. You got the porch at the very beginning of all this. Now, this, this temple, let's look at, we got another picture, I think. Let's see another picture of the temple. Yep. I want you to notice those two big pillars there. We're coming back to the pillars. That's the porch. This temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And the Jews, the Israelites, built two more temples, and these other two temples were also destroyed. But in A.D. 70, the third temple was destroyed by the Romans. So in A.D. 70, the whole sacrificial system went kaput, and there was no longer the sacrificial system because the temple was now completely destroyed. All right. I'll tell you what was really cool, too, is when, did I ever tell you, Denise and I went to Israel? Did I ever mention that to you? So two years ago when we were in Israel, at midnight, we're, we're underground. There's some underground temple uh, walls and halls that Solomon built. And they were for safety against invading armies. And at midnight, Danita and I and a whole team of people are going through these underground tunnels. And I just got goosebumps under, uh, seeing experience on that. We're going to lead another trip to Israel. If you want to go, Danita and I are going to lead a trip this September. We'd love for you to go. Go on the website and sign up. We can't wait to go, September the 13th. So how does this fit? How does this apply to our lives and, and, and does it? Well, let me ask you this question. Why, why did God do this? Why, why a, a tent? Why a, a building? And, and, and was that like plan A? And the answer to that is, is no. God was coming to plan A. You see, plan C was this portable tabernacle out in the wilderness. Plan B was this building, but plan A is a body. Plan A was always a body. And that's where you and I come into play. And that's the application that you cannot miss. Because God says, I want to put my temple, my temple will now be a body. Let me say this again. Plan C was the tent. Plan B was a building. But plan A is the body, the body of Christ, the body that you have. He's going to put his spirit inside of you. Let's look at some of these verses just to confirm that. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? And everybody's going, well, no, 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 no. It's got to be this massive building. No, 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 it's not a building. It's a body. This was God's dream. This was God's plan A. God has always dreamt to put his spirit in you. Because God's going to use your hands, your feet, your mouth, your life. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God? And you are, you are not your own? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? 
and God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple. Don't miss this. You and I now are carriers of the Holy Spirit of God. That should scare you. That should make you nervous. That should make you almost pass out, okay? But it's absolutely true today. God's plan A was to reside inside of you. And I will live with them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And so God's plan was never a tent. It was never a building. It's always been a body. Why is it that sometimes you become so overwhelmed when you come to a church service, or you come to a worship service, or you hear a worship song, or you hear a scripture song, and all of a sudden, why do you start crying sometimes? Why do you get overwhelmed with emotion sometimes? You know that God is like massaging your heart. That song, that scripture, that sermon was meant for you. Why? Why do you repent? Why does your desperation for God factor exceed your embarrassment factor? How in the world is it that at times you say to yourselves, you know what, I got a problem, I struggle, I don't care who knows about this, I need to get some help. Where does that come from? When you give your life to Christ, Jesus Christ cleanses you from all of your sins, but Jesus Christ also puts the Holy Spirit inside of you. Why is it that you confess him? How is it that sometimes you've made some great sacrifices and you've surrendered and you've broken the cycle and you've changed the whole course trajectory of your life? It's because the Spirit of the living God is inside of you. It was never a tent. It was never a building. It has always been the body. And so you and I, whether you like it or not, whether you're up for this challenge or not, He has placed his spirit inside of me and inside of you for incredible kingdom purposes. Well, that'll wake you up, won't it? And so God had a plan. And we're living in the best time of the church. We're living in the church age. We're living the greatest time of spiritual history. That's why I don't freak out about everything that's going on around us and hunker down and batten down the hatches. I read the end of the book, and guess who wins? We win. We win. So we're not going to freak out. And the Spirit of God inside of you has given you power and given you great courage. So I want to come to the pillars now. I want to go now to chapter 7. So 1 Kings chapter 7, and we'll look at some of this. This is amazing. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought... Now, here's a different guy. This guy's name is Hiram. I want you to understand who Hiram is and why Hiram's a big deal in the next verse. His mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, so she's Jewish. And the father was Assyrian, Sidonian. The father was from Tyre, but he was a skilled craftsman in bronze. He is like a living legend. Skilled craftsman in bronze... Huron was filled with wisdom, with understanding, and with knowledge to do all kinds of bronze work. Ladies, wouldn't you like to be married to him, to have work done around the house, okay? 
we, we just finished a kitchen project, and I don't know. I mean, I barely got through the kitchen project. I can't imagine this. So Hiram was filled with wisdom and knowledge. He came to King Solomon, and he did all the work assigned to him. He cast two bronze pillars. We're going to talk about this. Each 27 feet high and 18 feet in circumference. Let's see what it looks like. See those two pillars right there? Those pillars are absolutely amazing. I'm going to keep describing them because they're named, and the names have significance for your life. Let's go down to verse 16, then it says this. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. Each capital was seven and a half feet high. A network of interwoven chains adorned the capitals on top of the pillars, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows encircling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capitals on top of the pillars in the portico were in the shape of lilies, four cubits high. On the capitals of both pillars above the bowl-shaped part next to the network were the 200 pomegranates in rows all around. And now they're named. He erected the pillars at the portico of the temple. The pillar to the south was named Jachin. And when I read this about a month ago, I went, what? Why are they named? The pillar to the north was named Boaz. Why are they named? Why is nothing else in the temple named? What do those names mean? Why, why are they in the Bible? And I, I looked them up. It's absolutely amazing what they mean. Here's the first one. See those beautiful pillars? The first one, Jacob means he establishes. And so every time the Jewish man or the Jewish woman went into the temple... They had to go through the pillar, and the pillar is saying, I am going to be established. I am coming to the temple, and the temple is going to establish me. And the second one is Boaz, and Boaz means in his strength. Look at the next one. And Boaz is saying, every time you walk through this temple, you're coming to the temple, you can be established, and you can be strong. And I love that, because today, we don't go to the temple, the temple comes to us. Today, we don't go to God. God comes inside of us. And God says, I want to establish you. I want to make you strong. I want to change your life. I want to transform you from the inside out. And that's that glory to glory, strength to strength, blessing to blessing. That's the transformation process that God has in store for you and in store for me. When you think about these two pillars, every time they went through the church or through the temple, they were clinging to the strength and to God establishing them. And so today, we're in plan A. Plan A is not a building. Plan A, though, is the Spirit inside of you and inside of me transforming everything that you and I do. So what do we do with all this? Where do I need strength? Let's look at this for just a minute. So Stephen Curry, how many of you know who Stephen Curry is, basketball player? He's awesome. Let me show you a picture of him. That's him right there. That was my dream as a little boy to be in the NBA. Little boy, I'm making all kind of plans out there late at night. What I love about Stephen Curry, 
is God has established him. And God has made him strong. And Nike blew him off, and Under Armour signed this deal, this shoe deal. Do you know about his shoes? Look at his shoes. On every one of Stephen Curry's shoes, his brand is the scripture, verse Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's got the first part of Philippians 4.13 on every single tennis shoe. Here, here's, a, here's a kid that God decided to establish, God decided to, to make strong. And that's exactly what he has in store for your life. The sphere of influence that you have around the people that you're with, he wants to establish you and make you strong so you can impact them. So let's talk about some application right now. Let's look at some application in your life as well. Jacob means he establishes. So where in my life do I need God to establish me? If If I can have more establishment, where is it in my life that I can be more established? What about my faith? And so in your life today, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Maybe you've had some things that have rattled your faith. Uh, I've had a couple of really tough days myself with some other church folks here, and, and some people's faiths have been rattled, okay? But God says, I will put my spirit in you, and I will make your faith stronger. Maybe today you need not your faith, but you need Scripture. Maybe you really want to understand the Scriptures, and there's an establishment of God helping you to really grasp the Scriptures. Number three. The third one is this God's will. Maybe you're trying to make some major decisions. You're trying to figure out, you know, should I buy? Should I sell? Should I date? Should I marry? Should I move? You're trying to figure out God's will for your life. Well, you come to God. You come to church. You spend time in a small group. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in the Scriptures. You go to the park by yourself and pray. You go to the beach and walk and pray. You spend time with your Heavenly Father. He's going to establish you. Or maybe he needs to establish you with this last one, just a spiritual connection. There's a need for a a spiritual connection in your heart and and in your life. Any of those resonate with you today? Well, let's talk about Boaz for just a second, because Boaz means in his strength. Perhaps today you need to break the cycle. I was yesterday after the men's breakfast I was with a, a, a man, and, and uh, we were doing something outside for a few minutes. And I said, um, how did you become a Christian? He said, you want the real story? I'm like, well, no, lie to me. Yeah, I want the, I want the real story. I mean, how did you become a Christian? <laughs> he said, well, he said, uh, I was 13 years old, and I was selling pot. I said, what? At 13? Yeah, I was a pretty sinful kid. He said, I was selling pot, knocked on the door of the friend of mine who was going to buy pot. And he said, the guy opened the door, and I said, here's your pot. And the guy said, I can't have it. And I said, why? He said, I said, I got saved. And my friend said, you got what? He said, I I got saved. And he said, my friend who's been smoking pot and buying pot for all these, you know, months, all of a sudden tells me he can't have the pot because he got saved. And he said, the friend then said, do you want to go to church? And he went, okay. And he got saved. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And age 13, two pot smoking kids, you know, got saved. That's breaking the cycle, isn't it? That's a good cycle to break. That's a great story comes to church every Sunday at Harborside. You've heard me tell this before. I, I, I so respect my dad. My dad broke the cycle. My grandpa Parker, I met twice, 
chased women, drank like a fish, um, shot himself, took his life in his early 70s. I met him twice when I was a little boy. My father broke the cycle. And many of you in this room, because you've come to Christ, and because you've come to church, and because you've come to Scripture, and because you've come to faith, and because you've come to prayer, God has established you. And he's made you strong, and you've broken the cycles in your life. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe it's not breaking the cycle, but I need to be the kindest husband and wife. Well, not at the same time, but, but and we're not getting into the whole transgender thing. We're leaving that one alone, all right? That's for another year or day or whatever. But anyway, um, anyway, we're staying away from that. Um, if you're a wife, you're going to be the kindest wife. If you're a husband, you're going to be the kindest husband, okay? Let's, let's definitely move on, number, number three. Uh, I'm going to be the most helpful parent. Some of you are parenting, and I think Danita and I are coaching. I mean, we've got adult children, and we go from parent. So how, how can you, in your context, be the most resourceful to the children that God has placed under you and with you? The next one, in his strength, I can improve my work world. Maybe your work world is not a good environment. Maybe it's a negative environment. What can you do? What can you do if Christ is in you, the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you, in your body? What can Christ do in your culture? Look at the next one. In his strength, I can, I can be content. Wow. I'm not saying be lazy. I think as believers, we ought to be the most industrious people on the face of the earth. I really do. But can we be content with what God's doing? In his strength, I can, I can sleep in peace. Gosh, that'd be a good one, wouldn't it? I can, in his strength, I can encourage. In his strength, I can, I can surrender. And in his strength, I can, I can make those amazing sacrifices. And I can offer forgiveness. Wow. That's powerful. See, here's what Roman, here's what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 10, the author says this. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, he's not talking about the building. He's talking about now God. The most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us, from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed, oh, with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, you know what I always do with the application? I make you pick one. Because if you try to do it all, you won't do any of it. But if you do something, you'll, you'll move forward. So let me ask you on this first list, for you to pick one, I need God to help me with, so it, where is it? Do you need stronger faith? Scriptures? Spiritual connection? Is it, is it his will? Do you, where in your life do you need to dig in, dig down, dig a little deeper? Do you need, need that? 
And I can't have you stand up on this because I, I got the next list, okay? So when you get one of these, I need you to raise your hand so I can move forward. Can I go forward? Okay, so you got one? You're not lying to me, are you? You got one. All right, all right. Now, this next list, where do you need strength? I want you to pick one of these. God, every time I come to you, these pillars, you give me strength, you establish me. You see, this is what I know. If you could just turn the TV off occasionally and just read the scriptures, if you could just get out of Facebook for a little while, go for a walk on the beach or the park, when you're awake in the middle of the night, just start to pray and listen. I trust you to quote scriptures. Where is it in your life that God can establish you? You see, we don't go to the temple. The temple came to you. (laughs) That's what's amazing. The temple came to you, and he lives inside of you. So when you get one of these, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and I'm going to pray for both lists, Sam. King of kings and Lord of lords, you make us strong and you establish us by your blood, by your power, by your provisions. And we receive all of your provisions, all of your strength, all the establishing in our lives. We are loved by you We are liked by you, and you live inside of us. You live within us. May we be your hands and feet. May we be your heart and soul. May we do what you've always wanted to do that the tent couldn't do and the building couldn't do, but the body, it has no limits. We're like lions. We don't want to be caged. We want to be released. Release us, release us to serve you well. So I'm going to ask our prayer partners right now to come forward, to come down here. And maybe today we had a whole bunch of people in first hour that really wanted to be prayed for. They needed establishment. They needed strength. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. That's the place to always start to say, I want to be a Christian. I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe Jesus can do great, greater things in me than I could ever dream or imagine. And I'm willing to surrender to him. Maybe the next step for you is Christian baptism. On June the 12th, we're going to baptize again about 3 million people, I think. I don't know. That's the preacher's count. We're, we're, it, it's, it's you taking those steps to grow and to grow and to grow. Here's what I know. I know that Jesus wants to live victoriously inside of you. And I know that I can't do it all the time. And I know that you can't do it all the time. 
But I know that if I come to him with humility and I come to him in earnestness and I come to him and I ask him to make me strong and to establish me, he does over and over and over again. And, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. I know I'm special, but I know you're special. I know, I know we're all special. We're, we're all special in this room. He is passionately in love with all of us in this room. So may the Lord Jesus Christ, may the Holy Spirit, may the Father establish you and make you strong. If you need and want prayer, I would highly encourage that your desperation factor exceeds your embarrassment factor. God bless you. God bless you.